week one of our series called Ancient Pathways. It was 1997. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Um, 1997, I'm a... I'm a kid. I'm like, a, a, I think, a senior in high school in 1997. And I remember I had spring break. And, and I remember for spring break, I had, uh, I had a buddy of mine, and we decided we want to take off on a trip. Now, let me tell you where this originates, though. Um, probably about nine months prior to that, I had given my life to Jesus for the very first time. Now, I grew up in church my whole life, but how I many know that doesn't always uh, that didn't always mean anything. And so I grew up in church my whole life and was around it and kind of knew it, but didn't believe it and never felt it and never experienced it and did my own thing and was a real messed up kid. But, but I gave my life to Jesus, I had this radical moment where God touched my life. And, and about nine months later is spring break. And me and my best buddy, my homie, he's this black kid from the ghetto named Holly. And, and he was the only other Christian that I knew. <laughs> and so like die hard, not like went to church, but like loved Jesus, read the Bible, wanted to pursue God with his life. We decide we're going to Florida because there was a revival that was taking place there. We had heard about this cool revival event that was going on. And we we're like, shoot, it's spring, it's spring break. We ain't got nothing to do. We're going to revival, you know, because <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> that sounds so goofy. I was a real passionate, innocent kid. And so we take off now. We knew that we wanted to get there and so we were going to leave in the morning. We got so excited to get there. We were like, bump that. We're going right now. 9 p.m. We leave Greenville, South Carolina for a seven hour drive down to Florida. And we're like, we're going. We're going to this revival meeting. And uh, and so we, we planned on staying the whole week. We stayed in this real ghetto bootsy Motel 6 and didn't care. Like we were just happy to be with Jesus and all these other Christian people hanging out doing these Jesus meetings. And so, and he was the worst. He was the worst possible car partner. What do you call that? Traveling companion, person, ride along, co-pilot. He was the worst because he would sleep if he wasn't driving. It was amazing. It was like the car put him to bed. It was like, like being a little baby again in the back of the car. Cause you know, when your kids are crazy, you ever had your kids go crazy and you're like, oh, put them in the back seat, go for a drive. And you just drive around the block. Dude, you ever do that with your kid? Is that only me? He was like that, though. He was like this little kid grabbing your baby. That's you, baby. Um, and that's the way he was. So, but if he was driving, he could stay awake. But when he was driving, I was so afraid because he was a bad driver. I was so afraid I couldn't go to sleep. So, so I didn't want to drive and be alone because he was sleeping, but I couldn't sleep. So I just made him drive the entire way. Isn't that awesome? And so, cause he was a terrible co-pilot. He was awful. And we drove and we literally, we get there. I don't know. It had to have been, uh, we were speeding. And so we, we got, we're speeding for Jesus. Um, but we got there like four or five in the morning and we literally got there and got in line. Because that's when people got in line to be at these evening church services. And man, we were just there at the booty crack of dawn, hanging out with all these Jesus people. And it was the most awesome thing in the world. And because it was spring break, they decided to do these youth services. So like the people were so cool because you can't be mean in a Jesus line at a revival meeting. And, and so we're in line and the people are so cool. They're like, hey, we'll hold your spot. You go over to the youth meetings. And they had these youth meetings in this special chapel building. And I'm telling you this story because I had this unique Hunger and desire to see something different, to see something special, to see something unique, to see something extraordinary. I wanted to see the move of God. Now, here's what I know about you. You want to see a move of God, too. You do. You want to listen. You 
you want to see God do something special, don't you? You want to see God's, I mean, like, nobody wants the boring version of Christianity only. You want to see God do something weird. You want to see God do something crazy. This is why when you were a kid, you would pray like you'd be in your living room and you were always alone when you did this one. But there'd be like a book on the coffee table like, Lord, if you're real, make that book move. Just between me and you. I won't even tell nobody. I, just do, just, I know you can do it. How many of y'all did something stupid like that? And the rest of y'all are liars because y'all did something like that. And y'all are sinning at church now. So my point is, is that you and I want to see God move. We want to see some type of unique, uh, you know, undeniable move of God an experience that we have. And this is many ways why we follow Jesus now, because at some point in our life, we had an experience. We felt the presence of God. We heard the voice of God. We felt the pull and the call of God to say yes, to say a prayer, to do something. And, And if you haven't, you want that. I know that you do. This is why whenever I talk to people who even claim that they don't believe in God, you know what they really want? They want to see God move. And the the reason why they don't believe in God is because they've never seen God move. This is why in in a philosophical debate, an atheistic uh, uh, philosophical argument is flawed at its core. Atheism is a flawed argument. You will lose every time in a debate. You know why? Because the only way that you can say that I know that there is no such thing as God is as if you were God and you knew all things. So you can't win. So the atheistic philosophical argument moved to agnosticism, which agnosticism just says this. It's not that I can prove that God doesn't exist and I don't know without a shadow of a doubt that God does not exist. I'm just saying that I don't have enough proof or evidence that God does not exist. And you know what they really want to know? They want to see God move. That's what they want to see. They want to know. And you know what? If you've never had that experience, you want to know. And guess what? If you've had that experience before, you know what you want? You want to see it again. I want to feel God again. I want to experience God again. I want to see God move again. That's what I want. And and guess what? This is a reality that happened for me when I was a teenager. And it was a reality when I went to that revival meeting. And it's had these moments throughout my time and throughout my life with God where I had these moments where I felt God. I heard his voice and I experienced him in an undeniable way. Way. How many of you can say, hey, I've experienced God before on some level. Like I just knew that was God. I, just, I knew Yeah, most of us in here. That's why we're here. And for those of you who haven't, you're here because you want to see God move. We all want that. And that's what this series is all about, is taking a look at some of the ancient movements of God throughout Christian history. This is our founding verse. Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This is the ancient paths. The ancient paths are the places that everybody has been before us, aren't they? It's a pathway that gets walked out. There's uh, my, my grandfather was a cattle rancher and you always knew where the cows went. You know why? They walked in the same doggone path and it just be grass everywhere. Not in that one place. It's the ancient path is how paths began, which turned into roads, which turned into highways. It's the paths. There are pathways that ancient believers have walked on where they have discovered God. They have experienced God. They have felt God's presence. They've seen God move in a unique and special way in their day and in their time. And we will take a look because it could be. And here's here's what you need to know about what I believe. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Which means this. Is that anything that God has done in the past, He could do that same thing today. Hey, any place that He's done it, it just could be that He could do it in this place. And for anyone that He's done it, it might just be that He could do it for me, that He could do it for you, and that He could do it for us. And so this is our this is our journey over the next few weeks. Say, God, what would you show us? What would you have us do? What would you speak to us? What was it that you might want to revive in us? Everybody say revival. I went to revival me. This is what we call a move of God. It's, it's a reviving. Spurgeon said it real simply like this. He said it's to live again. It's to receive again a life which almost expired to rekindle into a flame the vital spark which was nearly extinguished. He goes on even say he goes revival is, is for the believer because you got to revive. If you want to know where the word comes from, like the word vive is Latin, which means to live long. It's where we get Vita in like from Latin goes to Spanish. This is why Ricky Martin's living the Vita. Loco living is the crazy life, right? Like the, like the pollo loco is a crazy chicken. The Vita loco is the crazy life. So Vita, Viva, revive. Are you seeing it? Revival to live again, which means you have got to have lived. Y'all are very, very smart audience. Yes, to live again. Meaning it always starts in the believer. That's where it starts. And then, and then hopefully it, it's so explosive in the believer that it spreads out into the entire community and the world around it. That's when revival takes place. It's when God begins to move amongst the people in such a way that the world has to take notice. That there's something unique. There's something special about what God's doing in them. It's that revival. It's the same way that we think about it when you watch, you know, because you all know, watch, how many of y'all used to watch ER? You watch... Some some hospital and Grey's Anatomy. What are they always doing? Trying to bring people back to life. That's why you get them little paddles, clear, and you what do you call this? A defibrillator, something. Trying to bring somebody back to life. That's what God wants to do with you. Because how many you know? Like there's this there's this principle in life that things are always living or dying, but they're never staying the same. Do you know that? There's a scientific term. It basically just goes on to define in real simple terms. You're either living or you're dying. You are never staying the same. You are either growing or you're digressing. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You cannot stand still in life. And so when, when life happens, how many know it's easy to kind of drift? And you could look at this in your relationships, your marriage. It never stands still. It's either moving forward or it's moving back. It can't. Well, how, how's, your, how's your marriage? It's hanging in there. You just... No, no, no. It's either moving forward or it's moving backward based on the actions and the steps that you are taking in your marriage with your parenting, with your marriage, with your faith, with your faith, whatever. It's your faith is always moving. It's never like, well, I'm just the same. No, no, no. It's, it's, it, there's movement. And when we get into that downward spiral, when we get to that negative bent, when we have gone too long without experiencing God, we need what? We need a revival. We need God to do something great here in the earth. Back in 1949, there was such an ancient pathway. There was such a revival. It was called the Hebrides Revival. In 1949, there's these two little old ladies. They were in their 80s. One of them had already succumbed to blindness. The other one was disabled because of such severe arthritis. To the point that neither one of them could even attend church. 
on a Sunday morning. They were pastor's kids, though, grown up in church, and they'd seen God move before. They'd seen God move when their dad planted the church on Lewis Island, when things had just begun. But again, things are always moving forward or moving back. And they had hit a point where, like, lethargy had crept in, and, and, and kind of the church was in decline, and the entire island was in decline. The spiritual life of the people was in regress. And so they began to pray, even though they couldn't go to church, they prayed and prayed. And they felt like God put it on their heart that they would pray for the revival in their church on Lewis Island. And and even to the point where they reached out to what was the most famous revival preacher that was in England during that time. His name was Duncan Campbell. And they said, you know, we're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to pray, and we're going to fast, and we're going to reach out to Duncan Campbell, and maybe he'll come preach at our church, and, and, and maybe God will do something great. Maybe we can see a move of God. And so they invited Duncan Campbell, and Duncan Campbell said, no, I'm not coming. I'm busy. They're like, All right, don't, even, don't even worry about it. We're going to pray, and we're going to fast. We're going to pray, and, we're gonna fast. and we'll invite Duncan again. Bless God. They invited him again. He said, no. They're like, That's, that, that will not deter me. We're going to pray and we're going to fast. And you know what else they did? They prayed and they fasted. And they said, we're going to invite him again. He said, no, a third time. And this is, what, this is what was recorded is what was said. The women were told that as the response came back, no. They said, that's what man says, but God has said otherwise. He'll be here in a fortnight. Which I didn't know what a fortnight was. You know what a fortnight is? How do you know that? I had to look it up. A fortnight is two weeks. It's 14 days. I have no idea where that comes from. But now you know some trivia. If you ever get in like a trivia battle with somebody and fortnight comes up, you're going to look like a G. So they said, bless God, he'll be here in a fortnight. And sure enough, by some strange coincidence, his meeting was canceled. And so on last short minute, last notice, he says, fine, I'll come to Lewis Island. He goes, I'll be there. And back then, you got to remember, like, the, the way they traveled, it wasn't like, hop on a plane, I'll be there for a night, and I'll blow in and blow out, and that'll be the end of it. He said, I'll be there for two weeks. He ended up being there for two years. Those old ladies prayed, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they fasted. And they, they, they somehow triggered a move of God in that area. And this little church on Lewis Island began to explode with the passion of God. Until not just that little church on Lewis Island, but every church on Lewis Island. And people began to come from the other islands to come and visit these meetings. To the point where it went from the Lewis Island to the other islands. That's why it's not called the Lewis Revival. It's called the Hebrides Revival. The, the Hebrides Islands are a group of islands off the coast of Scotland, if you don't know where that is. Which again, I, I didn't know where that is. I had to look that up. So don't, you didn't know where that is, don't sweat that. A revival broke out. And it caught the wind and just spread like wildfire all over that place. And that place saw over 200 churches on these little tiny islands just explode with people coming to these meetings that they could see and experience a move of God. You know, something else is fascinating. In another part of the world, at the exact same time in Argentina, there was this gentleman. He was the son of a missionary. His name was Dr. Edward Miller. 
Now, his dad had gone around and preached revivals and moved and done these camp meetings and seen incredible things happen for God. And here's this young missionary that says, it's time for me to kind of get kicked out of the little bird's nest and go do my own thing. And I'm going down to Argentina. I think that's where God has led me to be. And I think God's going to do something great in Argentina. And so he said, I'm going to go and I'm praying and I'm fasting. I'm going to set up a tent meeting and I'm just going to hold a tent meeting and believe for God to fill it. I don't even know how. So he did. He set up this tent. He prayed. He saw God. And you know what happened? Nothing happened. Like literally, like nobody showed up. I'd be pretty discouraged at that point in time. I might go back to America and just go work for my dad. But he was actually kind of embarrassed. He thought this is this was where I felt like God led me to be. So he actually decided to stay there. And for six months he prayed and he fasted. Like two little old ladies up on Lewis Island. One was blind and one couldn't move out of the bed because of arthritis. This gentleman was an utter failure, but he prayed and he fasted. And sure enough, nine months later, he begins to hold a simple prayer meeting and two people show up. And two people turned into three people. And by the end of it, I'm telling you, this thing broke wide open. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, there was a revival in Argentina. Why? Here's what you need to know about this idea called revival. Is these people prove that there is no excuse making when it comes to our own personal revival? One was blind. One couldn't get out of bed. One was a failure and nobody showed up. But they kept believing and they kept moving towards saying, God, I want to see you do something great in me. Do great in, in, in this area that you've put me. I want to see a move of God. There is no excuse. I'm not sure what your excuse would be. But I know that it wouldn't be good enough to say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I quit. I give up. It's just not worth it. The the second thing that you need to know is this, is that it is always God and God alone. This is proof you can't manufacture a revival, can you? Like there's no form. You can't formulate God. You can't get A squared plus B squared equals God squared. You can't. You can't say, well, if I do this prayer and say this incantation and you, you, you can't. Do you think God is small enough for you to dumb him down into a formula? Really? You can't do it. But they depended upon God and God alone. And then thirdly, this is this is the, this might be the key right here. Is sometimes your revival takes just one simple small step of obedience. I don't know what that is for you. I don't even know what that is for me yet. But I want to do whatever it takes and it might be a big thing and it might be a small thing, but look, one simple step of obedience could be the thing that triggers your Revival. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open up to John chapter 11, and I'm going to take a look at just a few scriptures, and we're going to open this up. Just so you know, this is week one and part one of a series. This is not uh, going to take on everything. This is just going to open up the, the, the book. Does that make it? This is the introduction to the book and the journey that we will be on. I will not finish today. I will only stop, and then we'll pick right back up. But John chapter 11, if you have your Bible, say, uh-huh. If not, read on the screen. Here we go. John chapter 11. The Bible says that Jesus once more was deeply moved when he came to the tomb. There was a cave and a stone laid across the entrance. And so he says, we'll take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. So Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people that were standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, this is the ultimate story of revival, isn't it? Like this guy's dead. (laughs) And you really need to be brought back to life. And I just want to take a glimpse of this story because I think if we're going to look at the idea of revival and look at the idea of Jesus infusing life into someone again, infusing life into a church again, you start with the basics. You start like, how does Jesus bring anybody back to life? The first thing that you need to know is this, is that Jesus grieves over your lifelessness. Like it's a big deal to God to grieve. Can you imagine if you're a parent, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Can you imagine as a parent if, if you looked at your kid and you thought, I, I, I don't want nothing to do with their life but other than to bless them and love them and to see them be a success and then them in turn say, I want nothing to do with you. How would that make you feel as a parent? What, what, what if you said, I'll give you everything. I mean, I'll sacrifice, I'll work, I'll do. I want you to have everything I didn't have and them to be ungrateful. How would that make you feel? I mean, what if, what if your kids rejected the very thing that you had sacrificed and given your life to help them get? How would that make you? You would grieve in your heart, wouldn't you? Your heavenly father sees you the same way like God. The Bible says that you are the apple of his eye. That God wants to see you be blessed. That God, what Jesus said like this, he goes, there's an enemy in this life and his purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and not just any kind of a life, but like an abundant life. A joyful life, a fruitful life. That's what Jesus wants for you. And when we walk away from that or we live with lifelessness, it grieves his heart. The Bible says that he grieved again because when he heard the news of his friend Lazarus's death, he cried. Now, Jesus wasn't a crier. He's a man's man. He didn't want a crier. He cried, I think, about twice in Scripture. He was, a, he was grieving, though. The idea of losing his friend... The idea of lifelessness. You know, there's a scary notion to death, isn't there? I had the the weirdest thing happen the other day. My mom was in town. And I like to stay up late and watch TV. Is anybody, late people, love your TV shows? You got that stuff DVR'd and recorded. You you know, then all of a sudden you put them little kids to bed and you're like, all right, let's put on the shows. And we'll, you know, watch a couple of shows. Well, my mom, my mom fell asleep during our show, which is no thing. You know, she's East Coast girl. She can't hang that long. And so... Not that because you're from East Coast, it's just late. You're just tired. So, but my, my point is like she fell asleep. And so when the show is winding down and me and my wife are ready to go to bed, we go over to my mom and I'm like ready to like, you know, wake her up so she can go get in bed. She don't move. Do you know what kind of panic sets in your heart when your mom don't move? Like I go over, I'm not lying. I go over, and I'm like, mom, mom. And I got so scared, y'all. Apparently, my mom is a super deep sleeper. She's still alive, y'all. Were y'all scared? Did y'all think she died? Did I tell the story in such a way that y'all really... No, she's still alive. My mom's fantastic. But, but she was so in a dead sleep, I got scared. I was like... And you know what? I felt kind of bad, too, because my first thing wasn't sadness, like, oh, I lost my mom. My first thought was, oh, man, that was right up on my leather chair. The, like, she died in my living room. How weird is that? 
Like, it's weird. You can't have people die in your living room. That's just strange. I felt bad because that's how I felt. And my wife even confessed later. She told me later, she was like, she was like, Todd, I felt bad because the first thing I thought was, oh, thank God the kids are asleep, you know? <laughs> you don't want kids seeing, yeah, grandma was dead over there. You just don't. Lifelessness is a scary reality. Lifelessness grieves the heart of God. Like, how's your walk with God? Where's your relationship with God at? Are you living the abundant life that Jesus paid that ultimate price for? Are you in the upward spiral? Or are you in the downward spiral? Because your, your God, your King, your Heavenly Father is excited when you're moving, when He's moving. But He grieves when we live in lethargy. It breaks His heart. The second thing that I want you to see is that when Jesus came, although he was grieved and he was sad, he realized that there was a barrier, that there was a stone in front of the way. And so the first thing that he says to do is, hey, that stone has got to go. Number two thought is this, is there are obstacles to your revival. Like you've got some built-in obstacles. The way that you've maybe crafted life, maybe some of the past decisions that you've made, maybe some of the past experiences that you've been through, they hinder you, don't you? I mean, like you, you've been through some things in life where you have an aversion to church. You've been burned. You've been irritated by church people. And so you've got this aversion to it. You've been you've seen weird people in a move of God. And you thought, I don't want to be weird. So I'm not willing to. So you've got these obstacles. You've got these reluctancies. You know, you know what? Some of you, here's a thought. Some of you, you know what your biggest obstacle is? It's busyness. Like you're so busy, you don't got time for God. Not, in a, not in like a bad way. Like you're not busy doing evil things. It's not like you're out killing Kittens, I mean, you're not, you're just busy with life. You're like, I work and I commute and I got my kids in 20 events and sports and activities. And then, and then I got this thing on the evenings and I got that thing and you got this hobby and you got that over there. If God wanted to move in your life, he wouldn't have any space to move because you have no margin. You have no room left over. And for some of you, you're bigger. The stone that needs to roll away is simply other things. Hey, you know what some things need to go are? Good things that don't measure up to great things. Because some of you, 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 God wouldn't move in your life because you don't got time for God to move in your life. So some of you, have, look, let's be honest, there's a sin issue. Is that God can't move in our life because we've got too much sin that we've become okay with. We've accepted some of them. We've, we, we've come up with phrases like, well, I mean, that's just the way I am. Well, that's just the way I've always been. I just, hey, I'm just too old to change. I just don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of that. that, that well, God's just going to have to love me the way that, oh, wow. God's going to have to love me the way that I am. Listen, God loves you the way that you are, but your sin is going to keep you in that lifeless state. At some point, you're going to have to get angry at sin. At some point, you're going to have, the, the Bible says this. The Bible says that people should sanctify themselves. Do you know what that means? It means that your separation from sin is not God's job, is your job. And at some point, if you want to see a move of God in your life, you're just going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to give up certain habits, certain attitudes, certain sinful behaviors and say no to it. You're going to have to walk away so that you can see a move of God in your life. Here's the last obstacle that we could talk about this for a while. But the last obstacle for now is prayerlessness. There's a busyness, there's a sinfulness, there's a prayerlessness. Many of us, I'm, I'm telling you, there's something unique. 
when I studied the different moves of God, and I even, I even took a class in college on, on the different moves of God throughout history. When I revisited them again, I see this constant theme. The two major themes that I see in every revival, apart from something unique that God does, was prayer and repentance. Prayer and repentance. For some reason, you couldn't get away from those things. And so when you look at, when you look at the sinfulness, it needs repentance. But then it's got to be jumped on with prayer. And there's just something about it. And you say, I don't like to pray. Well, then you don't want to see a move of God. Well, it's hard for me to pray. Then you don't want to see a move of God bad enough. Because if you want to see a move of God, I'm telling you, there's something uniquely linked to prayer. There's something about prayer that God shows up and moves on your behalf. There's just something about it. I can't explain it. I can't quantify it. I can't formulate it. I wouldn't even want to do that. But there is a link. And some of us are obstacle to revival is our prayerlessness. Let's keep moving. After this, Martha pipes up and says, Jesus, I, I want you to know that I realize you need to move that stone away. But dear Lord, it is going to smell awful. My brother's been dead for four days. Now, if you want to know something interesting, historical, the reason why he had been dead for four days, if you know the story, that if you go back a little bit before this, they told Jesus, Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And he said, okay. And then they said, hey, Lazarus is dead. He said, okay. And then he waited for, it wasn't even that far away. He was like one town over and he waited four days on purpose. And the reason why is, is because the Jewish people had this folklore. They had this belief that a body had to be dead for four days for it to be truly dead. Does that make sense? They believed that for the first three days after death, that the spirit of a person hovered over their body and that they could, for whatever reason, come back into the body. So even if you raise somebody back from the dead, if they'd only been dead a day or two, they're like, uh, okay. But for him to have been dead four days, they're like, that's legit right there. We'd never seen that for four days. And that body smells. Hey, here's thought number three. Lifeless Christianity stinks to those around it. There's a reason why a world is skeptical. There's a reason why the world is turned off. Have you noticed the, the kind of anti-Christian vibe in America? There's a reason why it's there. And it's more than just the enemy's attack. It's because of the way Christians have postured themselves. It's because for too long, the world knows everything that we are against. And they don't even know what we're for. When the world knows more about what we're against and who we hate and who we judge and who we don't like and who is wrong and who's going to split hell wide open. When they know more of that than actually what we are for. Lifeless Christianity stinks. When they when they know more about your judgments than they do about your generosity. Lifeless Christianity stinks. And that's just the way that it is. And so you've got to remember that 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 our attitudes, our hypocrisy, our the way we postured ourselves stinks. As a matter of fact, when you go read the early accounts of when the Jesus, the, the, the early Jesus followers, when they started out in the Roman Empire, they were despised and hated by basically every political group and every people group. Nobody liked the Jesus followers. They were called people of the way. They weren't even called Christians. They were called people of the way. They took over the Roman Empire. You want to know how they did it? They outloved everybody else and they outgave everybody else. That's how they won the Roman Empire. 
They literally, when times of famine came or when times of sickness came, they had these times where there were plagues that would hit the Roman Empire and people would be dying in the streets and everybody would abandon the city so that they wouldn't die of these great plagues. You know what the Christians did? They hung in there, started loving people, taking care of people, nursing people back to health. I'm telling you what, when, when they see the love and the kindness, but listen, you got to know this. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. And the world is looking for the goodness of God in you. And when we lose that, lifeless Christianity stinks to those around it. Number four is this. Faith is your first step towards revival. It always is. Faith is your first step towards revival. Jesus even said this to Martha when Martha was questioning him. He said, did I not tell you that if you would just, just believe, you would see the glory of God? You want to see a move of God? Your faith is the first step. At some point in time, you will have to just do something. Try something. Take a step of faith and trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Until you're willing to do that, you will always be on the outskirts of a move of God. Lastly is this, is the end result is always a closer relationship with God. It just is. Look at the way Jesus prays. Now, if you want to see lifeless, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. I mean, he was the life of God. Are you ready? This is what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 11. When he describes it, he goes, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I just said this for the people standing around that it could benefit them. But look at the way he talks to God. He's like, hey, dad, I I know that you hear me. I'm just talking so other people can hear. They need to hear this, but I'm just going to talk to you, dad, and let you know that I want to see you move in my life. I want to see you do something great. These people need to see a move of God. But look at the relationship. Look at the dynamic. Jesus changed the dynamic for everybody. See, the Jews, they they looked at God a little bit differently. They called him father, but they felt like he was kind of the father of the nation. And Jesus came and showed up and said, no, 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 he's like my dad. He can be your dad. As a matter of fact, when he was leaving planet Earth, he he goes, he was telling somebody, he said, hey, go tell my brothers that I'm going to my dad and they'll see us soon. He changed the way that we looked at God. The reason why we look at Jesus as our great big brother and God as our heavenly father is because of the way Jesus defined a new relationship with God. That no longer did God have to be distant. God could be close. No, I mean, like he's still king. Don't get twisted. Don't get disrespectful. He's still king. But he's dad. He's your dad king. Can you imagine? You're the boss's daughter. You're the son of the king. That's where you're at. And every move of God that he does in your life, no matter what that is, as we look at them over the next few weeks, the end result will always be you being closer to your heavenly father. Hey, what would the world look like if something in this place caught fire? What would it look like if something in your heart caught fire? What if God began to do a move in your heart? How would that affect your spouse? How would that spill over into your children? How would that affect your neighbors in your neighborhood? What would that be like for the people sitting in your little section of church? Remember this, revival always starts with you. It does. This is why God said those those famous words, that if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I would come and heal their land. It starts with you. If, If my people, like if you, it starts with you. If you turn from your wicked ways, if you'd repent and turn towards God, that if you'd pray, that if you'd seek his face, God would turn. God would heal the land. I don't know about you, but like, 
It's time for God to do something new in me. And I guarantee you that if you felt God before, you want to see God do something new in you. That whatever God did in you last week or a year ago or three years ago or for some of you it was ten years ago or however long ago, you want to see God do something new. And if you've never seen God move before, you want to see it for the very first time. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray that, God, we would just be open. God, we would be praying. Some of us would be fasting. We would be taking steps of obedience. We would be repenting of sin. God, we would be, God, we'd just be positioning ourselves to say, God, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and however you want to do it, God, we want to see you move in our hearts. God, what might you do in my life? What might you do in my family? What might you do in my church? God, we're hoping. We're just, we're humble. We're open. We're waiting. And we're wanting. God, do something great in our lives. God, let it start in me. Can you imagine if that was all of our prayer? God, let it start in me. I'm not expecting the person three, three seats down. No, no, let it start in me. Not three rows back. No, let it start in me. God, do something in me. God, change my heart. God, open my eyes. God, give me a passion to pray. God, give me a heart for people who do not know you. God, let it begin in me. Father, I pray for this church as we start on this journey over these next several weeks that, God, you'd speak to us, that you'd help us, that you would revive us, God. God, do it in me. Let that be all of our prayers today. God, do it in me. We pray that in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap?